Well, hey guys, um, like you said, I'm the other Brian. You saw this guy over here leading worship. I'm the non-hog hunting variety so of Brian, but uh, he's our redneck pastor, and I don't know what I am. I don't know. I don't even want to know what you're going to call me. So anyways, but hey, it's really cool to be here. And um, like I say, every time I speak, you know, you never know what's going to happen when the worship leader starts speaking. Um, you know, the fact that they would do that is just mind-boggling. But um, here's the deal. If I start to lose my place, I'm just going to grab a guitar and just start singing the service. So we could be here like five hours. It didn't happen in the first service, but, I mean, we still have all evening. There's not a service after this. So. But anyways, I want to tell you guys a story. His name was Arthur Stace. He was homeless and with no hope an alcoholic and completely illiterate. He lived in the streets of Sydney, Australia, regarded by many who saw him as a lost cause. One Sunday night in 1932, he entered St. Barabbas Angelican Church, interesting name, and heard a pastor preach the gospel of Jesus. Arthur was convicted by the Spirit of God. He left that church, crossed the road, and sat under a tree where he committed his life to Jesus Christ. He had become a new creation. Later that year, he was at the Burton Street Baptist Tabernacle. He heard the evangelist John G. Ridley preaching. In his urgent, commanding voice, John Ridley cried, Eternity, eternity. Oh, that this world could be emblazed. This word could be emblazoned across the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. You will come face to face with it. Where will you spend eternity? Arthur Stace, this man who still could not read or write, left that church, took some yellow chalk, bent down and wrote one word on that footpath, eternity. And throughout the night for the next 40 years, while Sidney slept, Arthur would take his chalk and write in immaculate handwriting the word eternity on footpaths, entrances to train stations, anywhere else he thought it would catch people's attention. It's estimated that he wrote the word 500,000 times. He was known as the man with the one word sermon. Sidney, all over the city, would awake and see this word wherever they walked and went to work. As the year 2000 was welcomed, the word eternity in Stace's handwriting was emblazoned. You can see it up there, that, that picture of Australia, you know, you get that, the opera house. But it was on the, on the Harbor Bridge, and thanks to modern technology, was seen around the world. Of all the words that have been spoken during the first two millennia, the one chosen to be featured on the Harbor Bridge at the dawn of the year 2000 is the one that was used to remind so many Sydneyers in Australia of their impending appointment with their creator. Because Sydney's fireworks display was the first of the international celebrations to be telecasted around the globe, people in every continent witnessed the miracle that God had performed when he touched the life of one little insignificant man, Arthur Stace a man who heard the voice of God and responded by committing his life to preaching his one-word sermon. A piece of yellow chalk, one word, eternity. Where will you spend eternity? You see, so often we are caught up in the ordinary, the hustle and the bustle, consumed by this immediate reality that we miss the extraordinary within the common, the greater reality of what God is doing in history, that time is running out, that one day all of us will stand before the Lord, that God will judge the world through his son Jesus, that there is a powerful force that is moving upon the face of the earth called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God that is countering the prince of this world who is the devil and his rule, a day when God corrects the wrongs and restores the universe and the world from the effects of sin. There is a day of judgment. There is a choice to be made in this life. 
Each person is accountable for the life they lived, the choice they made. Your life and your choices tell the tale, the story of who you believe in, what your purpose was, what path you followed, and what you lived for. How does your life story read? If you could play it back to this point, what would it say? What hangs in the balance? Eternity. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 4 through 15. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it is since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world at that time was destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for a day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, and catch this, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. But like a sign that we often pass by, the screaming that there is more to this life, time is running out. We think we have tomorrow or the next day. You think we can walk out here and we have another hour or we can go to lunch. You know, never know what will happen. Life is short. We assume that life isn't fleeting. The Bible says we are dust. You see, God is calling us into an extraordinary life, a life that surrenders all, not some pie-in-the-sky, happy train, health and wealth, or a boring, never-takes-risk, sitting on the couch, listening to Barry Manilow whilst I eat my veggies. It's not that kind of life. No offense on veggies. I eat carrots every once in a while. Any Barry Manilow fans. It's not a life where we don't use our noggin or the wool being pulled over our eyes. No, we are called to this narrow way, not the easy broad way, that takes God's strength to reach the heights, a life of blood, sweat, and tears, of walking through the valley of the shadow of death and fearing no evil, a life that refuses to sit on the sidelines but embraces God's purpose, that refuses to become lured by the world's treasures, that knows deep despair and great joy but trusts that God is good in both, that picks up the spiritual sword and fights a spiritual battle being waged all around us, that turns the other cheek, that loves his or her enemies. It is the cure for the common life. You see, you are serving someone. You are following someone, whether you realize it or not. You see, Satan's greatest lie is that you are following your own path, that you serve yourself, that you are your own master, the master of your own fate. But you are serving somebody. It may be the Lord or it may be the devil. What you do matters, and the decisions that you make determine so much, and time is running out. Don't be fooled by that which is temporal and fleeting. Don't let it obscure the greater ever-looming sign that says eternity. Where will you spend it? In the book of Matthew, we see a picture, a glimpse of the day of judgment. 
Let's check it out in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In this passage, we have King Jesus the Son of Man, coming to judge the world with myriad upon myriads of angels, ready to judge the heart of every man. Jesus used common imagery of sheep and goats that would have been familiar to his listeners. Shepherds often had mixed flocks of sheep and goats as they roamed the countryside. For various reasons, shepherds would have to separate the sheep and goats that in Jesus' days were less discernible to the eye than they are now. You see, sheep have become more domesticated and look slightly different and are more easily discernible as to which is which. But not so in Jesus' time. It would be the shepherd whose eye was discerning enough to split the flock. The sheep would pass under the shepherd's staff. He would hold it out and direct each, which he would use to guide them into areas to divide them. In the parable, Jesus places them on the right and the left. The right was a common place of honor when a king made a ruling and and the left a place of disgrace. The king would motion with his scepter, which had its origin in the shepherd's staff, to make a righteous judgment, to pass under the scepter of his judgment. Where will you be under the scepter of his judgment? Jesus, the shepherd king, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty, sits on his glorious throne and states the reward and gives the reasons why to each group of people. To those blessed, it's the invitation to come. Blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What is the kingdom of heaven or God? Well, the imagery the Bible uses is beyond comprehension. It's not floating on clouds with little harps and fat little cherubs. It sounds more like a Richard Simmons like video or something, you know. That sounds boring. I don't want that. And it's hard to put your finger on because it, it's described in both otherworldly terms and familiar terms. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, says Christians often talk about living in heaven forever. 
But in fact, the biblical teaching is far richer than that. It tells us that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, an entirely renewed creation, and we will live with God there forever. There will also be a new kind of unification of heaven and earth. There will be a joining of heaven and earth in this new creation. And if you want to know more a little bit about heaven, because we just can't get into it, this is an amazing book. Randy Alcorn has kind of a cheesy cover, but anyways, on heaven, it's amazing. Jesus made it clear that it was yet to come and something that he had started at his arrival. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you, and we'll get to that later. The kingdom of God is bringing wholeness to man and the universe that was corrupted by sin and death. The brokenness brought about by sin and disease, the separation from God and each other. Sickness was never supposed to be. Sin was never supposed to be. The separation and the, the struggles that we have in our relationships was never supposed to be. The wholeness is called shalom or peace. It's not a feeling, but God's program to restore all things, reconciling the world to himself and to people. The next part is the why. Because you clothed me, you visited me in prison. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Notice the response from the sheep. Lord, when did we see you? His response, when you did these things to even the least in my family, my brothers and sisters, you did unto me. Then the king looks at his left, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is in contrast to the kingdom that was prepared for people. Do you see the difference? A quick note, we are often under the assumption that hell is for people. But it's clear that God's intention was never for anyone to suffer there. Because his intent was for the devil and the angels, not people. A lot of our concept of hell has become, really come from extra-biblical literature, mainly Dante's Inferno, where the devil is in a red suit and a pitchfork and chambers of torture. God doesn't torture. The term hell is the Greek word for Gehenna, and it was a, a valley that was located southwest of Jerusalem, near to the city where trash was put outside of the city. Known for its incredibly putrid stench that Jesus' hearers would have been familiar with, it was also that same valley, that same place, where the wicked king Ahaz burned his children in the valley of Gehenna. Hence the concept of fire. Hell, again, much like the kingdom of heaven, is painted with imagery which we honestly don't fully comprehend. But we know it's bad, real bad. And I tell you this much, it is complete separation from God. Even now, God holds all things together. In Acts, Paul states that in him, everybody, that we move and exist and have our being. Imagine a place where you are not held together by God. This is what you need to hear. It has never been God's intention that man should perish. But God has given man free will to choose. He offers a relationship. He doesn't demand it, but we can accept it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Remember the verse from 2 Peter? He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, Jesus' first coming was the invitation to reconcile to God through Jesus. It says in 1 John, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. His second coming will be what we did with that invitation. That love that was shown to us on the cross. Let's look at the goat's response. When did we see you? His response. When you did these things, even the least in my family, my brothers and sisters, you did unto me. Then with finality, in verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. 
You see, it's easy for some to read this and to think that it's about works. Meaning if I just do those things, then I'll be okay with God. If I can just be good enough. But what Jesus is saying and why I think he used the imagery of sheep and goats is that there are certain kinds of people that by their very nature do certain kinds of works based on that nature. They don't remember doing those things because it was second nature to them. They're not saved by, by works, but their works reveal their nature, whom they serve, and the core of who they are. James said that works reveal our faith in Christ. Without there being some evidence of works, we probably don't have faith. But I love how Paul said it. He said it a better way in Romans, that it was about faith, our faith in Christ, expressing itself in love, our response to his first loving us. You see, love is a verb in the Bible. It is action-oriented. Again, it is not teaching about certain works you could do to save yourself. Rather, your actions, your love for others, reveal in whom you have faith. Paul said, it is Christ's love for us that compels us. See, we love because we were first loved. It's about heart and motivation. The Bible is clear that salvation is a free gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, goats follow their own way. They, by nature, are wayward and hard to wrangle in. By nature, they are rebellious. Sheep, on the other hand, follow. They follow the shepherd not because of what he can provide for them, but because he is their shepherd. They know his voice and respond to him. When sheep gather at a well with other sheep from other flocks, they know their shepherd's call when it's time to leave, no matter how many other sheep from different flocks and shepherds are there. They are in sync with him. It's not that they don't stray at times or get lost or get themselves into danger. But their very nature is to follow the shepherd. Their very nature is to follow the shepherd. Don't read too much into the word picture, picture Jesus is giving. He's not hating on goats for all you like goat fanatics out there. I tend to be one. I've got the crazy goatee. So, you know, I'm not a goat fanatic, by the way. He's not trying to say, look, being adventurous or off the beaten path is bad. In fact, God very much wires us for those kind of things. He's just trying to give an understanding to a future moment in a practical way to his hearers. Again, it's about their very nature. So what is so special about sheep? Nada. Nothing. It's not about the sheep, but about the shepherd. Jesus referred to himself as the great shepherd. It's about following the shepherd. It's about a relationship with him. When you follow the shepherd, you naturally begin to do the things the shepherd does to think as the shepherd does, to love others as the shepherd does. I told you earlier it was about their natures, the very core of who they were. You see, in a sense, Christ followers or sheep are ex-goats. You see, our default, all of us, is hell. Sin has held us captive. The Bible declares that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Our sin has given us a nature that is separated from God, that cannot do what he wants, held captive by the devil. Jesus used a different picture about this whole nature thing. He said that we need to be born again. You were born one way. Now you must be born of God's spirit. The Bible in the old school translations describe it as the old man and the new man. I like, I like the old man. It's my old man. Or old life and new life. Check out Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put away your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, 
and be made new in the attitudes of your mind and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness. The sheep, they are just sinners saved by God's grace. They have nothing to boast in, no goodness of their own. They've been given a new nature through God's spirit. That new life is the very spirit of God coming to reside in a person. I said earlier that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is within you. Well, this is the beginning of the kingdom coming to earth. The Holy Spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ living in you. We become kingdom agents. Jesus died on the cross, took the penalty for our sins and all of us sin. So we can be reconciled by faith in Jesus. His blood cleanses us when we ask him to forgive us and to move into our lives. When he moves into our lives, it's the same power that rose Christ from the dead that now lives in us. You have a new nature. You have a shepherd who will watch over you. I told you it wasn't about works when it comes to salvation. Check out this passage in Romans. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who doesn't work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness to and apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So what's so special about sheep? What's the difference between the goats and the sheep? It's the shepherd they're following. And you are following somebody today. Who are you following? In Titus 3, 3 through 7, it says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of our, and love of our God in Christ Jesus appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's that different nature I'm talking about. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, and catch this, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. I love that last part. Be careful to devote yourself to doing what is good. We have a mission we have a responsibility as kingdom agents. It is our response to God's love for us. Not a need to do things out of fear or to be right with God, but that we are already right with God when we accept Christ into our lives. When you believe in the name of Jesus, you pass from life to death. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You have a new nature, the nature of the shepherd king. Jesus said, these things you did unto me, even to the very least. Plainly he is saying that what we've done to others is what we've done to him. It is our treatment of Jesus. Our response to others is our response to God, especially to other believers. The love we've received is the love we pass on. And this is my favorite part of this passage. You see, in here and out there, there's a king in disguise. We need to be looking for that king in disguise. He's out there, the server at the restaurant, the homeless man at the stoplight, your next door neighbor, who knows has, if that person has the spirit of Christ living in them that you may serve or encounter and you may be serving the king in disguise. Or maybe you're the one to invite them into that relationship. This is where to find hope. 
I personally believe that this partly speaks to our mission to spread the gospel, to live out his kingdom, being Jesus' hands and feet in the world and his voice. It's a tall order. It can only be done with his strength and power, bringing the message of salvation to others by also providing physical needs. Look, physical things will pass away, but that is no excuse for us not to seek to provide physical things. Often those things are a path that lead to spiritual matters. People need to see that you care. Not that you're better than them. Not that you're their savior. But you're simply a starving sinner who's found spiritual food and telling others where to find it. That you were, when you were in need, God cared for you. Now you care for others. God has always identified himself with what the world considers the least. He says, I am the God, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. James wrote in the Bible that it is true religion. True religion is to care for widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Jesus hung out with the despised of his time, the prostitute, the tax collector. We need to be looking for that king in disguise. I also believe this speaks to caring for the church, the members within the church. Jesus said the world would know us by our love for each other, yet we judge each other, exploit each other's weaknesses, have unforgiving spirits. Our treatment of our leaders can be cruel, as can leaders' treatment of its members be cruel. But look, none of us have it all together, and we all need forgiveness. We need to forgive from our hearts because love covers a multitude of sins. We need to bear with each other's weaknesses, and we need to take care of each other. First John says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Love is a verb. It's action-oriented. You see, it's about following the shepherd, and you are following somebody today. Who will you follow? In 1 John it says, The world and its desires pass away, but the person who does the will of God will live forever. Eternity. You follow him. He gave everything. He took our iniquities. He took our sin upon himself. He loved you that much. You see, all of our default is hell. The good news is that while we were still dead in our sin, enemies of God, God showed his love for us by his son dying on the cross for all that separates you and I from himself. He took the penalty of our sin. He loves you as you are. You don't need to get some things right or conquer some sin. He loves you right now. Time is running out. The clock is winding down. We may or may not have tomorrow. There is no time to think about this. God is calling you today. Paul says today is the day of salvation. Your sin can be forgiven. You are worth him dying for. And he loves you. He loves you. Will you choose to follow him? And just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to follow Jesus, to give your life to him. You don't have to pray this out loud. Just pray it after me to yourself in your mind. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Help me to follow you. Place your Holy Spirit in me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys did that, we have these connection cards. Grab a pen. If you don't have a pen, they're in the back. If we want to know more about that, just say, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ today. Because we want to send you some stuff you can read some books.
But maybe some of you already know Christ, but you've strayed away. Return to the shepherd. His voice is calling you. Listen, I'm overwhelmed by my sin at times. Yet I remember that sin is no longer my master. I have a new nature. I have the mind of Christ. When I follow the Spirit's leading into every area of my life, I find that He's changing me. Sometimes that change is painful. Yet we were worth Him dying for. And He loves us. And He loves you. Will you choose to follow Him? And lastly, church, rise up and follow the shepherd. Are we the church that has passed by that king in disguise? He's in here and he's out there and he's in disguise. We need to meet the needs around us. The Bible says to practice hospitality. Yet we can't even get enough volunteers for the French students. Some of you are asking, what is God's will for my life? Yet we won't follow his will to take in strangers and practice hospitality. We're saying to God, "Uh, no God, what's your other will for me? Because we're uncomfortable. Let us not pick and choose. Step out on faith. God will help you through your fears. Beyond that, we have needs in Highland City. We want to buy a house there. A hub where needs can be met, both spiritually and physically. We already have the couple who will lead the charge and live there. It's Barry and Jen Germany. Let's rise up. We want to join in with a food pantry that's already there with several other churches. Let's rise up. Don't wait for the pastors to do it. The word says that we're here to equip you. God's called you to do it. Let's change this city. Let's find that king in disguise. With the love that we've received, that we would love others. Could you be loved? Could you give that love? Will we choose to follow him, TBA Church? God has brought you here for a special reason. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I pray for your help. Lord, that we would seek you, God, that you soften our hearts and open our minds to you, that you give us wisdom and understanding. And Lord, for any heart that's breaking in here, that's going through that desert or whatever it may be, Lord, I pray right now, just your touch of love and and gentleness and and all the things that you are. And I pray for peace, Lord and the peace that passes understanding. Father, I pray that we live that spirit-filled life, that we would keep in step with your spirit as a church and as individuals. Forgive our sins, God. Help us to love as you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand and let's continue to worship.